Greetings in the Lord Jesus. If you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll start there this morning. If I would have uh, looked ahead at the uh, topic for next weekend, I might not have chosen my sermon this morning that I did. But anyway, we will go ahead with what I have. <clears throat> I have a title here, I'm calling it Christian Warfare. Christian Warfare. And I think it was sitting in church maybe last Sunday at the bank or, or somewhere recently. No, wasn't it? Well, I'm not sure. I wrote that title down. And it came from seeing uh, something in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor. And we'll get there after a while. So here, well, Caleb's already talked about warfare. And one of the... Uh, When you start talking about war, we hardly know what we're talking about. We hardly realize the evils of it. We hardly realize how terrible it is for those that have to live with it. Uh, for those who fight in it even. Uh, those of us who read maybe get some idea from some of the books we read, some of the things we read about warfare. but. Uh, I was thinking about the, the Mennonites that lived in the Palatinate and Alsace and Lorraine in the 1600s and what they called the 30-year war, the French and the, well, anyway, it wasn't exactly French and Germans, but all these people going back and forth across the land and burning and looting and taking everything they had and the population of that, that whole area just plummeted. People dying, people leaving terrible suffering, that kind of thing. War is always like that. And Caleb talked about the deception that uh, is used in warfare. Well, we saw that in the Sunday school class, too, where these people say, uh, let's go make a treaty so we don't get destroyed. Maybe you've heard the saying, the first casualty in war is truth. truth. Whenever there's a war, there's lots of untruth. <laughs> well, anyway. But, so, here in first, Second Timothy 4, Paul says, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I have fought a good fight. And Paul used warfare a number of times in the New Testament, and maybe he's not the only one. And I had to, I was sitting here thinking about how terrible war is and, and how things go, and I, well, okay, well, let's just keep going. What's this fight like, this Christian warfare that we are in? Paul, like I said, fairly often uses warfare. Thought about the armor in chapter 6 of Ephesians. We'll get there in a little bit. Uh, let me quote just for interest this verse, though, because I thought of it after I read this one. Paul says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? I fought with the beasts at Ephesus. 
<laughs> you remember him fighting with any beast at Ephesus? Well, okay. Another translation says it this way. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Well, I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to, but I think he was just saying he had a lot of opposition to Ephesus. That's where you had great Diana of the Ephesians and that whole riot. But he was there a couple of years, too. So, <laughs> so that was just for interest because I, I found it interesting. We sing forward through the ages or onward Christian soldiers. Well, what are we talking about? Well, okay, so I thought about Jesus' words to Peter. And I say unto thee also, thou art Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And uh, we're told that that word prevail there is that the gates of hell won't be able to stand against the church. So some occasionally you hear people talk about the church militant. What does the church militant look like? Are we going to go out and fight? How do we go out and fight? And that's kind of what I'm after this morning, a little bit of an idea of what our fighting should be like. First Timothy chapter 6, just back a few pages if you're still there. If you're not, it's only one verse I'm going to read. Uh, verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. Fight the good fight of faith. Or you could back up a couple more chapters. See if I have this. Oh. <laughs> I always get mixed up on where that passage is. All right, back again into Second Timothy chapter two. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now therefore, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier. And so, you know, if you read about armies in the Civil War here in the valley or anywhere they're fighting, they spend a lot of time sitting in camp waiting to move. Or they spend a lot of time trudging, <laughs> trudging from one place to another. And in the army, you don't get to do what you want. You do what you're told, period. Or at least if you don't, you get into pretty big trouble. Endure hardness. So Brother Philip Martin, several weeks ago at, at Raleigh Springs, he gave us a talk on tech. And he talked about sugar. And it made an impression on me what he said. Sugar. 200 years ago, at your Sunday meal, you'd have had a little sugar in the dessert. And that was probably about it. Now, we have sugar in everything. 
then it was hard to get. Well, relatively hard. Had to, but anyway, and it was expensive. And for us Americans, life is a little that way. Things that our great-great-grandparents would have seen as total luxuries our grandparents had, and the next generation and the next generation keeps going until we are living in just plain luxury and don't even know it. Pretty, pretty much. We've got sugar everywhere. <laughs> Call it sugar in quotes. Let that be the, the, the... What does that do to self? What does that do to enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? I mean, I like to eat. It's kind of hard to keep the weight down. I stepped on the scales last evening and kind of groaned. It's higher than what I've been for a long time, and I didn't like it. But my wife, she likes to cook. <laughs> it's her fault. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's not. I just don't discipline myself like I should. Hmm. I'm too used to the sugar. I'll call it that. Oh, well. What does that have to do with fighting? Well... Try to come back to some of that too. Let's uh, look at a couple other passages. Second Corinthians. Go backwards here. Second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter six. This is in the section where Paul's talking about his apostleship, and some people say defending his apostleship, whatever. So in verse three he says, We give no offense in anything, but so that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, tossings to and fro, I think the margin says, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet we live and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. O oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. <clears throat> so here's Paul describing his life, their lives as apostles, patience, afflictions, necessities, distresses. Okay, this is fighting the good fight, right? Stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings. Purity, knowledge, 
living by the truth. Go back another chapter or two to chapter 4. Start in at verse 8. And here again he's talking about his ministry. But verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. Troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Fighting the good fight. Okay, yes, we know Paul went out and went all across Asia Minor and even into Europe with the gospel. That's part of the good fight, too, I'm sure. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. We are always delivered unto death. Death. So, did Jesus fight the good fight? Joey says yes. <laughs> well, of course he did. When do you ever see him fighting? Well, there was a time he took a whip and chased the, the animals out of the temple, and some people think he chased the people out too, but I'm not sure about that, uh, how that was. There were 40 days in the wilderness when he was tempted of the devil. There were... Probably a, a lot of the, the things that could be described the same way that a lot of these things Paul talked about. Troubled, perplexed, well, maybe he was probably never perplexed, we suppose. We would have been if we were in his shoes. Persecuted, cast down, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, well, you could go on watchings, fastings. So, when Christians fight, they don't fight like other people fight, obviously. The warfare we have is a different kind. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Every Christian everywhere faces this roaring lion. Sometimes he doesn't seem to be so roaring. Sometimes he comes talking about how good your God is and how great your God is and won't you make a league with us? <laughs> Still trying to figure out whether those Gibeonites figure out everything that was going on there. We do know this, that, that what they did was not what the Lord would have had them to do, make that league with people in the land. That much we know. 
And the enemy sometimes, I don't think, sometimes he knows he can't get us to just outright fall. But if he can get us to make a bad decision, that's a good start. Second Corinthians chapter 10, another passage. Verse 3, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. <coughs> so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And we usually, or pretty often at least, I think we, when we talk about carnal weapons or weapons of carnal warfare, we're thinking about the guns and stuff like that. I don't really believe that's what Paul's talking about here. Those are fleshly weapons or, or worldly weapons for a worldly kind of warfare. But that's not, I don't think, what Paul had in mind. He's saying we don't use the devil's tactics. We don't use anger, malice, ill will, sarcasm, and go down the list of hatred, intimidation, whatever. Those are fleshly weapons. We do have weapons, and they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. <laughs> but they aren't those. You find him exercising those weapons in some of those other passages I read. Much patience, afflictions, necessities, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, <laughs> watchings, laborings, fastings, pureness, knowledge, long-suffering. Truth. I remember a number of years ago sitting down with another bishop talking to a young man who had some problems and the other bishop was in charge he was doing the talking and, and he would say something that would basically nail that young man down on something that he said or did earlier and he just changed his story and kept it going and I told that other bishop after we left you know it's a little unhandy we're bound by the truth he wasn't what, that's what it felt like there for a little bit. I mean, because we couldn't prove what he was saying wasn't true at that point because he was going off on something completely different, which obviously he believed, which obviously he was deceived, but anyway. So is it a problem to be bound by the truth? <laughs> well, no, it's not. <clears throat> okay. 
One thing I, I noticed about all these passages that I've read so far, I think all of them, pretty much, they're Paul or they were Peter. I mentioned the one in 1 Peter 5. In every one of those cases, you have a leader talking, and he was talking about his ministry. And, and, and so maybe it's just the leaders that have this warfare. Well, no, I don't think so. I think we all do. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and just look at those weapons, the armor that we have for our warfare. And I'm not going to actually spend a lot of time on these. Just note them for a start. We're familiar with the passage, but let's read it anyway. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The enemy's schemes. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. All right. So... Put on the armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. So you've got the warfare going on, and in warfare you have these Roman soldiers, and they're all wrapped up in their armor, and they go out and fight. And yet, it looks a little bit here like he's saying it's not so much in the fight that you need to be watching, but watch out for the schemes of the devil. Watch out for his deceptions. <laughs> things that he uses against you to deceive you in that battle. We're not fighting against fleshly things again. We're not fighting against people. People are not our enemies. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. It's in the spiritual realms that we're fighting against. A lot of it well, okay, so we hear about people in the mission field, and they go into these dark places where there's spirit worship and demon possession and all those kinds of things. Yes, that's spiritual warfare. We face it too, but we face it right here in our own hearts. We face it among our everyday, in our everyday living. The devil is out against us with his scheming too. So, 14 down through 18 just lists out the things to put on. Begin with truth. Truth. The Lord Jesus, the Word, the Spirit, and the Brotherhood. Truth itself. Don't get away from that. That's the only way to avoid deception is to have the truth. Verse 14, righteousness, righteous living. You can't have victory if you aren't living righteously. Uh, 
he who lives righteous is the one who is righteous. 15, a prepared witness. <laughs> Preparation of the gospel of peace. Be always ready to give an answer and be on the offensive taking the gospel. Verse 16, the shield of faith. And this he says, above all. I believe God, period. No matter what else, I believe God. If I believe God, I obey God, I love God, I hope in him, I depend on him. Verse 17, salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 talks about, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The fact that, that I know that there's an eternal hope, that God has saved me, and that I can depend on that. I can go forward in that. Yes, I can fall too. And so that's why I'm concerned about deception and those kind of things. But you need that. And verse 18, always praying. All prayer. Where do you wear this one? Well, this is not one you wear, you just be. You, you just live that way in prayer always. And not only for yourself, but for your brothers and sisters. So, thinking about some, how to make this fighting practical, let's just go back to the practical part of Ephesians and make a quick run through it here. Chapter 4. So in chapter 4, the first 16 verses talk a lot about unity and the body of Christ. And way too often Christian warfare happens there against each other where we let people get on our nerves or we think they did it wrong and we insist that they make it right and, and on and on it goes. But... <laughs> Real Christian warfare says we are one in the Lord. We're all on the same side and we're all working together. And so you have different gifts. Uh, in World War II, there were a whole, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people working on deception, on deceiving the enemy. When they went out to fight, there was a platoon or two that built pontoon bridges. According to what my dad said one time, that's the one he was in. That was their job, to get the army across the river. There would be those in charge of supplies. There would be those to make sure the ammunition got from back here to the front line as it was needed. And everybody's got jobs to do. Well, the church is that way too. We fight the fight by being in the church and doing our part. So, verses 4, let's see, verses 17 to 24... I kind of threw these together too. Don't walk like other Gentiles. Don't live like other people live with their empty mindedness. Verse 17. Darkness. Find light. They, they, verse 19. They've given themselves over to lasciviousness. Just living the way they live. You haven't learned Christ that way. Verse 20. Put off all of that. Verse 22. 
be renewed, put on, verse 24, 3 and 4, <laughs> put off the old ways, put on the new, be continually renewed. Let that ammunition keep coming up from the back to the front and keep using it. Well, anyway, verse 25, stop lying, don't lie, do the opposite. You ever tempted to fudge on the truth a little? Well, sure, we all like to please people. And it's easy to try to find a way to say it that isn't quite as straightforward as maybe as it ought to be sometimes at least. Speak the truth in love. Verses 26 and 27, don't let your anger... Make an opportunity for the devil to get his foot in the door. Is the way I say it. Anger will do that. You uh, can hardly be angry without sinning. I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. It's very difficult. 28. Don't steal. Rather, do the opposite. Go out and work so you can give. Get into the fight. <laughs> Verse 29, don't say anything that will corrupt or tear down others. Do the opposite. Don't use the enemy's tactics. <laughs> they don't work in our warfare. You know, in, in a regular warfare, you're both out there shooting to kill and trying to mutilate and blow up people and send them all to hell and that kind of thing. In our warfare, it's totally different. Totally different. We're always delivered unto death for them. Okay, verse 30. Don't grieve God's spirit. And maybe you just keep going by being bitter or wrathful or clamoring, or evil speaking, or having malice. Get rid of all those ugly attitudes and actions. And verse 32, do the opposite. Be kind, have a tender heart, always forgive, remembering what God did for you, no matter how they treat you. Get into the fight. That's the way we fight. Chapter 5, well, verse 1, imitate God. Like dear children imitate their fathers. Be ye imitators of God is the idea there. Verse 2, love like Jesus loved. Dying on the cross even for people who hated him, who mocked him, who said ugly things about him, who slapped him, who spit upon him. Just die for them. Let them do it. Get into the fight. Love like Jesus. Notice that was a sweet-smelling offering to God. It wasn't a matter that the Lord was angry with Jesus and punished him. <laughs> this was a sweet-smelling offering, just like those offerings in the Old Testament pleased, pleased to God when they did them from the right kind of heart. So verses 3, all down the next number of verses, renounce and abhor every kind of sexual sin 
Verse 3, not even a hint. I think one of the newer versions says there in verse 4, maybe. I don't even have a hint of it there. The foolish talking, the jesting, the off-color jokes. And so he plugs in there, rather, give thanks. Five and six people who get involved in those kind of things or who are covetous, by the way, notice he adds that there. Why would he add covetous right in the middle of sexual sins? That's what sexual sins are, I guess. You're always out to please yourself to get what you want. And that's what covetousness is too. But don't let anyone tell you differently. Verse 6, for those things God will judge. And so don't get involved with them. Verse 7, just... Don't take part in them. You are now light. Get into the light. Verse 8 says, and verse 13 and 14 kind of repeat it. If you're light, your life is going to reprove them. Verse 9, do good. Because the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And it will help you prove what's acceptable unto the Lord. If you, do, if you are doing what you know is right, and you do it consistently, that gives you a basis for the Lord to continue to lead. So don't even, verse 11, don't have any fellowship with that wrong stuff. Some of it's even a shame to talk about, verse 12. Are we fighting? Verse 15, live carefully. Circumspect is a word that means look around, pay attention, watch out. Discern, judge, don't be a fool. Don't just live. Be wise. Think about what you're doing. Make good use of your time. Don't just kill it. Redeem it. And you can be wise. And then you can know what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. Don't get involved in things that lead to excess. Excess. Excess here, I would, uh, well, I, I defined it as unself-control. <laughs> when something else controls, partly because of the rest of the verse. But be filled with the Spirit. Let Him control. Don't let something other than the Spirit of God control your mind. And that's what happens with drink. That's what happens with marijuana. That's what happens with some other drugs. Verse 19, go to church. Sing, exhort each other, fellowship. And I'm not sure totally it's talking about going to church there, but it says do it to yourselves. and Do it to yourself too. Have a song in your heart. Practice keeping one there. Verse 20, thank God continually. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. <coughs> so does thankfulness.
Yeah, I know my wife's sitting over there and thinking, yep, you need to exercise this one more. And, and she's right, I do. <clears throat> Maybe she's not, but anyway. Yeah, I've been struggling a little the last couple of weeks. I almost think I had COVID again, as glum as I felt there for a while. I don't know. <laughs> but um, thank God continually. He that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Maybe that would help on the eating part, too. Okay, interesting. Verse 21, submit, submit, always submit. This is the way the Christian fights. He submits. He submits to mistreatment. He submits to each other in the church. That's what it's talking about here, but I was just thinking about this whole thing of submission. Always bearing about in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. I'm not rising up against whatever somebody brings against me. I'm not putting myself up and thinking I'm somebody. Submit. That's the key to winning battles. For Christians, submit. Submit to the Lord. Did Jesus fight the good fight? How did he do it? I do always those things that please him, he said. Always submit. He did it perfectly. Well, the next few verses, 22 to 33, husband, fight the good fight. Love your wife. Wife, fight the good fight. Submit to your husband. Respect him. Six, one to four, children, fight the good fight. Honor and obey your parents. Five, down through eight, employees, fight the good fight. Well, all of us obey, honor and obey our authorities. Verse 1009, masters, fight the good fight. Treat, treat your employees like the Lord Jesus would treat them. And then we came back to where we left off. So, spiritual warfare, Christian warfare, Yes, we're in it every day. Just keep taking the low road. Follow the Lord Jesus. Live like he lived. Do what's right. Submit. And it's true, some spiritual warfare involves dealing more. More. I'm not sure it's more. Directly with the forces of darkness in, 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 in more direct ways. You know, to get the demon-possessed person they have to deal with or whatever. But more often, it's just the simple, everyday business of living. Of living so that the light shines out into the darkness and the darkness can't dampen it. The truth, righteous living, a prepared witness, the shield of faith, the hope of salvation, wielding the sword of the Spirit, I didn't mention that one. I skipped that when I talked about that, the, the armor. The sword of the spirit that's able to discern 
divide between spirit and marrow that, 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 that's able to help us discern was kind of the idea I wanted there. Always praying. So the victory is won. The battle, we know what we know how it's going to end. We know who's going to win. The battle's not over. We're in it. Be thou faithful unto death, Jesus said, and I will give thee a crown of life. Let's have a song.